Today, I'm going to be talking about gun rights, mainly focusing on the effectiveness of armed civilians in war and how this can specifically relate to Jews. I'm happy not to impede people's right to self-defense and home defense with guns, but I don't view this as the primary purpose of guns. I view them overwhelmingly as an anti-tyranny mechanism. Responding to crime is a perfectly good use for a gun, but this is of no threat compared to totalitarian governments coming to power. Mao disarmed his populace and went on to kill somewhere between 50 and 75 million people in China, with around 45 million occurring just from 1958 to 1962 in what's known as the Great Leap Forward. We who don't think communist-led genocides are great need to come up with a new term for that period. Stalin disarmed his populace and went on to kill millions too. Between 3 and 9 million were killed with unarguable intention, many of whom died in gulags. Now, if we add the starvations to that, several of which were intentional retributions against populations that were seen as rebellious, like the Holodomor, the number of Stalin's kills rises to 50 or 60 million. Hitler disarmed his Jewish population through both a trustworthiness clause written into German gun laws previously, because of course Jews can't be trusted, and through the 1938 Regulations Against Jews' Possession of Weapons, which disarmed Jews in certain occupied territories. He went on to kill around 12 million people, half of whom were sufficiently Jewish, and half of whom coming from Hitler's other targeted groups, such as gays, gypsies, Jehovah's Witnesses, disabled folks, and various people who simply wouldn't bend the knee to the man. Those three examples being stated, I'll now deal with two inevitable objections. The first objection that I know will arise is that these numbers aren't correct, or the margin of error is too large. To this, I'll simply say that it's horrifying that we have a margin of error of tens of millions for a death count. Even if we want to be as kind as possible to people who'd like to minimize these numbers, half of these amounts would still be absolutely horrific. A tenth of these amounts would be absolutely horrific. Objecting to numbers does nothing when they're this high. Secondly, some people will say these countries didn't ban or confiscate guns. That opinion depends on believing propaganda, for the most part. Mao didn't simply outlaw guns, he had a revolution to complete. He left guns with those who were, at least in name, part of armed units. These, of course, were Mao's fellow revolutionaries and loyalists. Similarly to other communist countries, the people who don't support these revolutions seem to lose a lot of rights in a hurry. I'll let that speak for Stalin and the Soviet Union generally. As for Hitler, it's correct to say he didn't ban guns, but only because that's foolishly general. He targeted a specific group of people, Jews, and took their guns through a clause that left it up to local government to take away a person's rights. It's almost like he had the Holocaust planned out and wanted a soft target. Now if you want to understand the power of civilian armed resistance in a Jewish context, the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising is a powerful example. On April 19, 1943, Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto chose to fight rather than be sent to Treblinka. Two underground groups led the fighting, the Jewish Combat Organization and the Jewish Military Union. This was obviously a deadly endeavor for the Jews, who were no match for the SS and its militarized police force. Around 13,000 Jews died many of whom were burnt alive in their homes, with only a few hundred Germans, perhaps, being killed in the fighting. 
and the uprising ended on May 16th. In a time when so many Jews walked in an orderly line to their horrifying deaths in camps, these Jews were some of the few who responded with armed resistance. They had the choice to die on their feet, and they took it. In doing so, they held out against the strongest state in the world for a month. For comparison, the German invasion of Poland took a similar amount of time. This effectiveness of a civilian population can only be done with the equalizer of firearms. The United States provides great examples of this civilian resistance too, both to America's benefit and detriment. The American Revolution was such a force of nature because we were civilians fighting however we needed to, and with a dream in mind. The British were soldiers fighting far from their families to retain a tax base and global standing. We Americans had everything to lose and everything to gain as a civilian militia. The British just didn't have the same stakes. But that inspiration and purpose wouldn't have mattered if we weren't a thoroughly armed population. We can also see the value of armed civilians in the wars America's effectively lost, or at least not won. Consider the examples of Vietnam, Afghanistan, and Iraq. The American military was constantly shocked by how far the Vietnamese were willing to go and the sacrifices they were willing to make in this war. We saw it as containing communism. But it was a war of independence for them. They had our revolutionary spirit. And we should have known not to underestimate this, especially when you have similarly armed population. In Afghanistan, we find a land that's unconquerable. Both superpowers took a swing, and both failed utterly. The locals know the countryside, while we require helicopters to traverse it. Moreover, we weren't fighting a military. We walked into a mess of armed tribes and populations who were independent, affiliated with the Taliban, or bought off by the U.S. previously. There's simply no way to hold down such a population, and we've learned that by having it become America's longest-lasting war, again because of popular firearms ownership, not a military opposing us. In Iraq, we find even more interesting roles for guns and arms more generally. We toppled Saddam and essentially fired his party members. This did not disarm Saddam's men, who effectively continued Saddam's paramilitary, the Fedayeen, through the Iraq War, even without Saddam. Contributing to the larger insurgency with both training and military arms, the force of arms was reasserted, going from government to civilian resistance. Iraq's government was toppled in no time. The Fedayeen were not stomped out so easily, if we can even say they were. The insurgency in Iraq has not stopped since the invasion. We've seen it transform multiple times, with ISIS now being the dominant force in that. In these last three examples, they haven't been a moral case for firearms ownership. They've been a purely pragmatic one. We can look at the results and see how effective this is. So if we trust ourselves as having virtuous people in our country, or having the population at large be virtuous or moral, then we can see what it does. 
we can see that if we arm the American people, for instance, we seem to fight for the right things. We're not fighting for religious tyranny. It tends to be largely independence-based fighting. And you can see that, too, in events like the Whiskey Rebellion, wherein Americans actually revolted and George Washington himself had to go put down an uprising over undue taxes, which is a very interesting episode in U.S. history. But it shows that we're actually fairly morally consistent. If you look at Israel, when in its early days it had a very similar system to defend itself of, it was just popular arms. You defended your town. And there were militia groups, but that wasn't the large part of the fighting. And we can see, did the Irgun go conquer Damascus? No. And that was a militia. That was an organized group that theoretically could have been capable of something if they had chosen to do so. But they didn't do that. What they did in Israel was fight for independence and then largely stop. They did not start saying, you know, Cairo's within our reach. Why don't we take Cairo? They didn't try to take Amman. They didn't try to expand. Even once Israel had an organized military, you can see in the results of the Six-Day War, because of being virtuous at the core, that you would prefer to give up land. And this is the kind of morality and virtuousness that we need in forming firearms ownership. And I trust most people in the West generally to have that. And now bringing it more close to home for Jews. We have to deal with regular threats, not just to our lives individually, which is far less common and really only happens in these big waves. But we face pogroms. Regularly. Multiple times a century, someone will try to wipe out the Jews whether it's locally, whether it's within a country, or whether it's globally. Now, I think people in that circumstance will have a tendency to use firearms very seriously and take them as a meaningful responsibility. This is not some abstract when we're dealing with base survival and you can see how quickly countries turn too Germany within a generation went from Jews being amazing having huge contributions in World War I German Jews served at a higher rate than German Germans This wasn't a people trying to stand out or not join society. They were incredibly German. They were more German than Germans were in many ways. And then we take it less than two decades and we have Dachau. 
this isn't something that just happens every few lifetimes like many people want to think this can just happen and it's not ever within Jewish control Israel is the only country we have a majority and even that's at risk what we need to do is always be ensuring we have this mechanism I would like to think the Jewish people are virtuous enough to be able to handle such a responsibility as gun ownership I think it's absolutely worthwhile to get Jews involved with firearms everyone doesn't have to own something if they don't want to this is all up to your choice your own comfortability thinking about how safe it might be for your family if you have young children there are a ton of variables but Jews as a people outside of Israel at the very least have separated themselves from gun culture in a very strange way and I don't think it's going to pay off I think the only result from this is going to be a bad result and catastrophically bad a great Zionist Zev Jabotinsky had a phrase that I believe all Jews should live by Jewish youth learn to shoot this isn't telling you to take up arms this isn't telling you to purchase a small arsenal it only advocates for Jews acquiring the potentially life-saving skill of shooting for a people who face pogroms several times each century I don't know how so many Jews can avoid the sentiment of Zev Jabotinsky and if you're interested in the ideas I'm discussing find more on our own website libertarianjudaism.com or on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash libertarianjudaism. Thanks for listening. Bye.